Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. What is up? I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we have so many books too for many. you today. Too, not Never too many. Could be more, maybe. Never enough. We do enough. have never enough. Never, never. Like in The Greatest Showman, you guys remember. Uh, Hugh Jackman. Yep, that's, Wolverine. Yeah, Wolverine. Yep, I like to go. think Wolverine stars in that movie, or in that mm-hmm. uh, movie and uh, Broadway show. X-Men Origins, The Greatest Showman. Let's jump into it because we do have, I think, 38 titles to talk about today. So kicking it off with Loki, number one from Marvel, written by Dan Dan Waters, art by Jermaine Peralta. In this book, Loki has a fingernail ship that crashes into Yggdrasil, and he has to track down three pieces of his fingernail ship. Um, Otherwise, things are going to go horribly wrong. I know that sounds insane, but that's the actual concept of the book. What did you guys think about this? Well, I like the fact that he admitted to being Florida, man. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. What's the biggest thing you guys have made out of fingernails? Oh, great question. I built a ship. I built a ship. Oh, <laughs> this must have really resonated with you. It did. It's the first time I saw myself on the screen. Oh, wow. Uh, that's nice. In the paper screen. I built a, um, like a moped. I didn't have enough for a ship, so I'm just going <laughs> to. But it works. Sweet I will moped, say. moped, bro. Yeah. yeah. It's good. Uh, this it's- is very good. I really like the tone of this quite a bit. I thought they really got back to the whole mythology aspect of Norse mythology, something that mm-hmm. sometimes is weirdly lacking in the Thor and Loki books. Mm-hmm. It also mm-hmm. weaves in a lot of different Loki one- runs as well, like Daniel Kibbesmith's run and a couple of others. Um, so very fun. I-, I had a good time reading this. I'm excited to see what happens but- next. It, well, that's what I'm worried about. It seems like uh, this is a one and done series because it seems like dead. He, he's dead at the end. So yeah. Loki it was nice famously, it. famously yeah, even though the next page teases a second issue, I agree with you. That's never going to come out. Never. Well, maybe they're out. maybe they're panicking. They're like, oh no, what do we do? It's about Loki. He died. Yeah, yeah, he died. He died at the end. I mean, magical axes are pretty reliable. Mm-hmm. And just think how sharp a fingernail axe is, because fingernails yeah, can be sharp. Yeah, come on, man. If they're all individually sharpened, then you sharpen the edge. It's mm-hmm. like sharp on sharp. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I really like this book. Uh, it, it reminds me of those runs in the Kieran Gillen run from back in the day. Uh, Ooh, okay. All takes right. us back, has some co- comedy to it, but still, like you said, Alex, mytho- mythological underpinnings, some good action. Uh, this guy's a trickster. You can't trust him. Still can't works. trust it. Steelworks, number one, from DC Comics, Can't written by this. Michael Dorn, Worf himself, art by Sammy Basri. This is following Steel is now running a company in Metropolis. We've seen this a little bit in the, in the Superman books. But the idea is he's trying to 
basically makes superheroes obsolete by making the world into a utopia. That's what he's working towards. A lot of other things, of course, are going on at the same time. Uh, but what did you think about this kickoff? I uh, I thought it was a really solid first ish. I, I love the art style. I feel like it had a, a great kind of last panel and did a good job of getting us excited for more. Uh, I also enjoyed this wharf coming out. We got two wharfs. We got wharves. We have multiple wharves in this stack. That's right. Uh, so that's exciting. And this comic is, I feel like a lot of like celebrity, I'm assuming first, I don't know if this is his very first comic book work, but sort of jumping into comics, it's a little bit uh, not great. This is like a a good story, a story that is like, in universe and sort of deeply thought out, it feels like with a sort of a large philosophical underpinning, which I think is cool. I, you know, there's a lot of Superman family stuff happening between mm-hmm. the super family, then you got right, the steel right. family, yep, corporate yep. stuff going on. So th- this world is expanding a lot. Right here's now. here's my one note for this book, which I also generally did like. I liked the corporate idea so much of. Hey, I'm going to give up being a superhero. I'm going to try to figure out how to make this into a utopia that when we got into the superhero shenanigans of big fight scenes and villains manipulating behind the scenes, that wasn't as interesting to me as the You were of like, going, oh, I want more about agriculture. Yes. 100%. Like that to me felt fresh and exciting and very different and having I this is obviously not what they're going for with this book, but having a place where legitimately trying to build some sort of utopian world in the government structure of Metropolis in the DC universe. That's really interesting to me. And when they delve into that part of the book, I feel that is really fascinating. When it gets to the other stuff, very solid. Uh, But I hope they keep that balance going as we go forward. You are more about the office culture, like yeah. uh, what's the lunch cafeteria situation? Exactly. Uh, do they get an actual lunch break, or is it more like eating at your desk? And you know, it's ooh, like, yeah. oh, do it's they optional, get reimbursed for lunch, or yeah. you know, do you get to walk for away for okay. your desk, right. or do you got to like take it there? You know, How are the mean? bathrooms? You know, who's like, changing the toner, Worf? <laughs> who's changing the toner? <laughs> Michael Doran loves being referred to as Worf as a person. Let's talk about In Hell We Fight, number one for Image Comics, yeah! written by John Lehman, art by Jock. You can figure out what this is about from the title, but it's a bunch of folks who are in hell who are just trying to get some ice cream over the course of the first issue and are fighting some demons to do it. There's a big twist at the end here. But basically, everybody, when they are sent to hell, kind of gets their own little power when they go to hell based on how they died. And that's what we're exploring in this issue. Another very fun, wild concept from John Lehman. Also a positive t- twist on hell, which you don't get often. Exactly. You know I mean? Now I'm even more excited that uh, yeah, all three of us are going to end up there. Oh, dude. I hope they have podcasts and stuff down there. You oh, know they I mean? definitely have podcasts in hell. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, we'll have all of the podcasts in the world. Ooh. We'll never stop talking. It's going to be great. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, in yeah, in I, hell we, we podcast. About in hell we fight. Number one again. 
yeah, I, <laughs> we have to redo old podcasts. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so I want to try to talk about the comic here. Yeah, love the kind of like art style, the fun use of emojis here, uh, the little red daggers uh, when, when Midori is uh, given looks. It's really fun. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's a fun last panel reveal. They did a great job of like setting up this interesting world. Uh, and kind of like, you know, we're just kind of have this plan, but then a bigger plan is revealed. So, yeah, I, th- I, I could follow along. I thought it was really fun, great art style, kind of set up this cool thing. I think it did a great job. I also like this. This reminded me a lot of Adventure Time, the Ooh. comic books as well as the cartoon. Adventure Time set in hell? Yeah, which, you know, in Adventure Time, this is a maybe the most mild of spoilers. It's a post-apocalyptic world, Earth. And so that sort of like there is that edge to it. And I think this is a a similar edge with similar tone and uh, similar types of characters here. And by the way, Uh, I'll mention real quick, if you're wondering about the art style, this is by Jock J-O-K, not Jock J-O-C-K. So it is a completely different person. I believe that's pronounced. It's pronounced Jacques. Jacques. It's Jacques and Jacques. Hmm. Can you hear the difference? Yeah. yeah. Wait. Say it one more time. Yeah. Jacques Uh and Jacques. Oh, I hear it now. Okay. Thank you. I'll try to get that. You can hear it, right? Yeah. You can hear it, right? Totally hear it, Pete. (laughs) Pete, you went to Nola, where they speak French. I believe you should know the difference between Jacques and Jacques. Jacques. Yeah. 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 Fence Redemption, number one from Boombox, written by C.S. Picot, art by Joanna the Mad. This is continuing the story of a fencing school that's pretty gay, let's be honest. Uh, oh, come on, dude. Is this, is like this, a, no, this book is Alex. Possibly. This is Alex Bait right here, this book. Well, I actually, yes, I do really like the fence books. I think they're very fun. Uh, you do. I... I I honestly felt like a little confused by this one because it's been a very long time since I read a Feds book. I still really like the art style a lot. It's definitely manga inspired. The fencing fights are very good. And there's good cliffhanger at the end as well. Also, you learn about fencing, which is great. Exactly. It's very locked up in terms of fencing. What do you guys think? I think I need to learn how to flick fence. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was cool. Yeah, it has a very manga kind of anime style to it, which is great. Uh, kind of adorable, you know, uh, a style to it, which is fun. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was really cool characters, liked all the fencing lingo, kind of learned some fun stuff. So anytime you can kind of like enjoy a world and then also walk away with a little knowledge, I mean, that's a bonus on bonus right there. Bonus really, on bonus. Bonus on bonus. Put it on the cover. Pull quote. I really liked the stuff about fencing, but otherwise the book seemed very like everybody walking up to each other and shouting things at each other. That's real life. And that, uh, well, that, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> That's a choice mm. that you make. Mm. Uh, the way that it, uh, I just wish there was a little bit more sort of narrative flow to it. Mm. It felt very like stop, start, shout, shout, shout. That I do think I agree that Cliffhanger at the end felt like it's, setting up for maybe a little bit more of a story, but this felt like almost like an overture before we Mm. get to the actual story of the comic. Yeah, that's a very good call there. Next up, X-Men, speaking of overtures, X-Men Before the Fall, 
Mutant First Strike, number one from Marvel, written by Steve Orlando, art by Valentina Pinti. This is part of a series of one-shots that are coming out before Fall of X, the big event that's coming down the road in a couple of months at this point. And here we're getting a bombing that is blamed on mutants and a mutant strike team heads there to help everybody out and prove their innocence at the same time. They get into a couple of scrapes along the way, and we do have a villain who is manipulating things behind the scene. What'd you guys think about this book? Uh, Steve Orlando is an amazing writer. We've had him on the show. He's a blast. I think that he does amazing work. Uh, always show up when I see him attached to a project. All that being said, Go F yourself with this You guys are on your fuck island Then you're gonna come back and be like Oh maybe we'll send a squad to help Maybe one time Uh, Go F yourself Either be on your island Leave us F alone Or you live here with us and you help us While we're here fighting trying to make the world fucking better Sorry, no, just real rooting. quick. So you're saying marginalized societies should either fuck off to their yeah. own place or help you out, a white man? Is that what Who's you're saying? Who's talking Pete? about marginalized society? We're I mean, talking that's what about... the X-Men are. They are standing well, that... for marginalized societies, and that certainly sounds like what you're saying, Pete. Real well, quick, which marginalized group Thanks in particular for putting are you, all that in my mouth. Are you, I are you that saying because... that about? Well, it's which... funny because I said one thing, and then you took it and did something completely else. So congratulations S- on that. Sorry, real quick, we just have a new pull quote. Thanks for putting that in my mouth. Thank you, Pete. That's perfect. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> um, I, I would because I would actually argue, Pete. I, you have your uh, chip, a very large chip on your shoulder. Honestly, your shoulder is mostly chip. I'm a little worried for your bone structure. So, I, but this feels more like I'm, a, how, a regular non Krakoa X Men book. I think mm-hmm. if you sort of were able to look at this with fresh eyes, you were able to sort of somehow take the veil of well, anger that's the problem, you have. I, I'm, I wasn't born today. I don't have fresh eyes. I have eyes that. But you're have a journalist. And ripped no. out. Don't you dare call me that. I'm a, a podcaster and a comedian. But what I'm trying <laughs> to say is, you guys made this huge. In hell. Choice. In hell, you're a podcaster. Exactly. Yeah, it's true. In hell, we uh, podcast. But In hell, we podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I just um I don't know, man. I mean, if you if you were kind of sitting there uh, you know, in a sandbox, uh, and then your friend got up and said, I'm taking my toys and I'm leaving. Sounds like the weekend. Yeah. Uh, you know, then uh if they came back later and were like, Oh, I see you're having problems here, I sent one of my toys to go help you. I, I you know, how would you feel about that? <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Pete. I'm gonna write that analogy down. <laughs> So I'm gonna really put some time in. <laughs> so wait, wait, the the person sends a toy <laughs> to go talk to me in the sandbox, sort of like a Woody situation. <laughs> he sends like a Woody over from Toy Story to, to talk to me, like. <laughs> Oh my god! I haven't laughed that hard in a long time. <laughs> I'm crying. I'm actually. You're crying. welcome. You're welcome. I, that <laughs> that aside, I like this. That I like the uniforms that uh, we've got on the X Men here, and it does feel like. And I'm not in no way agreeing with uh, the poet laureate, the poet laureate of comic book club over here. <laughs> But I do think that X books have stagnated a little bit. And so the idea of changing it up some with the fall of X 
and getting them back to their roots here where they are try- fighting against the world that is actively after them is exciting to me. So I think this is something that if Pete were to like, if I were to send a toy to Pete's house, <laughs> like I do, uh, I think he in the way able to give him fresh eyes, uh, he would be able to really enjoy this. New Talent Showcase, the milestone initiative number one from DC Comics, written by, get ready for this, Ashley Allen, Cheryl Lynn Eaton, Jared Lusion, Greg Burnham, Jared Pratt, Zipporah Smith, Julio Anta, Morgan, uh, Morgan Hampton, Jerome Rett, Nathan Kayanen, Jordan Clark, and Dorado Quick, and art by Yasmin Flores-Montinez, Adagun Ilhan, Cameron White, Marcus Maz Smith, Damon Hampton, Lucas Silviera, Andrea Rosales, Tia Ancom, Pedersen Oliveira, Anthony Fowler Jr., Miguel C. Hernandez, and Charles Stewart III. Now, as you can also figure out for the title of this one, this is a series of short stories that is showcasing new talent, both from the writing and art side working with the characters in the milestone universe. It's also a monster of a book at, I believe yeah. over a hundred pages long, something like that. Oh, yeah. so, 109 oh, pages by my Yeah, count. So you're getting to like, this is not, Hey, we're throwing a, three stories out there over the course of 20 pages. This is all a thing. Uh, Pete, you're our number one milestone fan. So what did you think about this? Man, I really love this. They, they really put a great kind of package together with this. This is so cool. I also really love the kind of artists and creators uh, shout out bio uh, kind that we got you know it's where you get to kind of see pictures of the people making the stuff so that was really neat and kind of hear a little bit about them so I really appreciated that kind of fit in the back there Um, but man overall just it's exactly what you expect to get from this there's just some amazing stories some powerful stuff Uh, I love the hate you live that was really unbelievable uh, the family values one about being black and being a superhero. Just such great art, great story. Really loved uh, all the different takes. Um, yeah, I was just uh, super impressed with it overall. Um, just uh, what a collection of stories that really showcases some new talent and getting you excited for things to come. I agree. It's it's nice, especially the the new talent side of it, to see people really like getting a, a big swing on a big stage like this. Um, I, I like those that Pete highlighted as well. I also liked uh, the makings of you one in the middle. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's great to see this. This is the kind of stuff that I remember ages ago reading, like it's like reading backups in an annual and being like, this is a new person. I don't know their name and they're getting their shot. Always excited. Yeah. I, this is a great project. I'm glad they spent so much time and put so much care into it. But beyond that, as somebody who is a very casual Milestone fan, certainly I've been reading the books that we've been talking about on the show, but a lot of them are very much deep dives into, oh, you got to know this yes. character's backstory. This feels like a fresh slate for a lot of these things as well, which I really appreciated. There's a lot of static stories in here that yeah. I thought were very good and very accessible. So if you're looking to get into the Milestone universe in any way, I think this is a really good one to pick up. Great call. Once Upon a Time at the End of the World, number six from Image Comics, written by Jason Aaron, art by Leila Del Duca. This has been following two characters, a man and a woman, who are traversing a post-apocalyptic nightmare world in search of a, you know, fabled 
safe haven as one is always want to do. They've definitely started as hating each other, that begrudgingly like each other. Here, we jump a couple of years of the future where they're fucking, like, literally everywhere. Like, straight it's up. It's a fuck fest. It's the a, sex it's apocalypse. It's a 100% straight up nudity. Uh, not necessarily like graphic fucking, but like you see a lot of fucking over the course of this book. Um, so it's for adults. Yeah, uh, don't yep. don't read it on the train or any place. Mm-hmm. There's a, definitely don't read it at your son's chess tournament. You're a horrible father. I mean, it's very I funny tur- you I say tur- that. I turned towards the window when I was doing. It's it. funny you say that. So Alex, people behind of- you walking by can see it. You know what I mean? Just like holding it up so they could. A comic we're going to talk about uh, in a couple. The Betty Page number one with mm-hmm. a. Provocative cover, uh, one mm-hmm. could say. I was yeah, at but my that- daughter, my kids' uh, dance show, and I spun that up, and I was like, oh, God. Oh, dear God. <laughs> I can't do this right here. Yeah, but the inside of that is completely tamed compared to the uh, what's going on in this one. I I've, was really enjoying uh, all the issues leading up to this. I feel like we got kind of a little bit lost in the fuck fest, but I get it. It's the end of the world. <laughs> You're happy to have companionship. It's got to be crazy out there. So, like, go to town. But I think you can imply it a little bit. We don't need to sit in it so much. Um, because it, was a, it took it's, away from the story, but I do think that uh, it's super sweet. You know, open now, relationship. Now, real quick, Pete, you're, you you're the expert here. Pete, you're the yeah. expert here. Um, what are your best tips for not getting lost in a fuck fest? <laughs> <laughs> Have a map. Have a map. Yeah. You know, there's a there's different ways to go. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, it having a, a buddy who is always looking out for you. You know, is good. Always good to have a buddy in a fuck fest. Yeah, going always on. good. Yeah. Someone who's looking out for you. Um, you can't cramp up, so you need like a uh, make sure you're plenty. Uh, you know, uh, you got you got the Gatorade stretch. Yeah, yeah the, thank you. Yeah, you know, you need help with those words. It's interesting. You didn't like the sex in this book. You say the word fuck island about the X Men, even though that was a one very small part of a story literally years ago. So like uh, that, that's something um, to talk about when we have our, our three person therapy session. Oh man, I can't <laughs> wait for that. Cause it's cheaper to do it that way. No, definitely. And that poor soul is in their hell <laughs> who has to talk to us. Uh, I really love this book. I like the way that the, the time jump ahead and the way the sort of like sexual tension of the first arc was very aggressively broken. I also like uh, about this that it's sort of like when there's no society around them, they can sort of make relationships whatever they want it to be. And in the back half of the book, we sort of get get that in a way that I was sort of like, oh, is this like a dramatic problem for them going forward? Because we know from the flash forwards in the first arc that they aren't getting along in the future and things definitely went wrong somewhere. It's- it's the fuck but, fest. It's going to tear them apart. <laughs> you think, well, I mean, I, I don't know. Because the way it's handled in this issue, it feels like that's not it. So, I don't know. This book is really intriguing. It feels very, uh, like, uh, f- fresh and interesting to have in a post-apocalyptic story, romance. It's story. very creative and cool. Uh, that's for sure. And sex. Yeah, it's definitely, to your point, Justin, it's going in story directions that I absolutely would not expect. Uh, the art also by Leila Del Duca, just the array of backgrounds and different types of art. There's a sort of a paper dolls page that happens in here as well that I thought yeah. was very fun. So I was calling that the action figure page where mm, they kind of OK. Yeah. So great. If Good, you've been missing really beautiful. 
if you've been missing sex criminals, um, this had uh, that sort of energy, especially with all the sex. <laughs> Let's turn to one that I felt like was probably a gimme for Pete. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus Street Fighter, number one. From Come IDW, on. Come on. Lore art by Ariel Metal. In this book, not a lot of street fighting, but a lot of What are you fighting. talking about? Oh, ring when, uh, let me let me just say when Michelangelo fucked Guile, I felt like that sort of was a betrayal of the. It was sort I of. I love that. I thought that was really beautiful, and it really paid off on years of storytelling in a total sonic boom. He said. Right, for, first off, first off, shut up. That that didn't happen. Don't ruin this comic. This comic is awesome, and Guile goes up against Raph in the first round, uh, which they, I they, they fight, but they fight yeah. because of the sex that was happening. Mm-hmm. We don't know that. That was not implied. You were bringing stuff from one book into another, which uh, you shouldn't do. They do call themselves at one point heroes in a fuck shell, right? Nope. <laughs> nope. That's not That's not it at all. That's part of the song. It's part of the canon. Nope. Nope. On not the, at the all related to this. And then we get Michelangelo uh, fighting Chung Li, which was also fun. Uh, and I, I appreciate the fact that Chung Li is like, you know, I already sized you up, bro, even before we got here. So uh, out ninja the ninja there. So so that was pretty neat. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I feel like this is just a great idea and kind of fun seeing these worlds clash together. Um, the turtles got to figure out uh, what world they're in and Bison is out to get them and they got to uh, catch up soon. And uh, well, hopefully that will happen and hopefully they won't all fight and it will be more of a team up action. But uh, yeah, still, it was still uh, a blast to read. Amazing art style, uh, kind of a cool take on uh, the. It wasn't like the cartoon; it was a little bit more kind of cool fighter actiony art style. But uh, man, yeah, what a blast! Uh, this is written by Paul Allure, our guy from the GI Joe comics, right? That's right. That, um, that's right. I certainly loved and was uh, very surprised by. And what I like about this is it dives in. And we're just there and it's happening. Like, I feel like so many of these stories where it's like these two licensed character worlds are colliding. There's just a long setup of like, and that's when this device that a scientist had, blah, 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 blah. And then it's like at the end of the first issue, they're meeting this fighting. They're fighting. It's in their names. It's a turtle fighting a person who fights in the street, a street fighter. Let's go. And Skyle. that's fun. It's yes, it's Kyle. I know. And uh, you think I didn't play Street Fighter too? It seems like, like uh, you don't know what you're talking about. So who was your fighter? Who was your fighter? Street Fighter Two. Uh, well, it depends. It really depends. Uh, you know, I would go with Ken sometimes. I would go Chung Lee sometimes. E Honda. Yeah. Yeah. I usually use E Honda or Bison. I think. Uh, Bison. Really, E Honda. No oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Here's here's my only weird point with this book. The characters from Street Fighter hang out with each other, like socially. That seems weird. They're, yeah, they're always street right. fighting. Why would they do? They're that? coworkers. Yeah, guy. Guile changes the toner. Yeah. <laughs> Callback. Very strange. Groot number two <laughs> from Marvel, written by Dan Abnett, art by Damian Cusero. There are three small Groot-type creatures, tree creatures, who are palling along with Captain Marvel. In this mm-hmm. issue, we meet a female Yandu who teams up with them, and yeah. they are fighting a bunch of smoky chainsaw monsters. Pete, you seem to be into this one as well. Take it away. No, Pete, did. I feel like you didn't like the first issue of this, right? No, I did. Okay. I remember get catching some heat because I thought I really liked it and I liked having 
these other sort of misfit um, Marvel space characters. I'd say, yeah, I wanted more. I wanted to see what was going on, and I feel like we got a little bit more of the the plot of what's going on, what we're doing here. It wasn't just kind of like three, you know, Groot and then like other Groots that said kind of just one phrase. Tweak uh, and Gleef? Yeah, yep, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, so... Gleef's bullshit. <laughs> I agree. Uh, yeah, I thought this was fun and hilarious. It was a cool art style. Love this, like, kind of adventure. Love the storytelling. Uh, I feel like... Uh, this is a kind of fun team up. We're kind of putting the team together and going to kind of unleash them on the world. So I'm excited about the band we're, we're forming here. And I feel like it could get uh, interesting. And I feel very happy with what's happening. I agree. I like this a lot. It has like, it, it almost has like some dream elements to it. I, this feels almost like something that Groot is recounting. And it's like his dreamy take on like the Chainsaw Monsters all these other characters that you sort of know. It, it has that dream logic to it, and I really like that. And it really made me want a Guardians of the Galaxy book about the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, like I your Yondo, your is, Martin right? X. They're building up to that. Ooh, Potentially. So you um, are getting this, Justin. Your wish well, is coming true. That, that's uh, – I got three left on the monkey's paw. <laughs> I, I just uh, – like, where, where's my Vance Astro? Uh, where's uh, wait for it yeah i guess we will gotta be patient the flash number 800 from dc comics written by jeremy adams mark <coughs> wade joshua williamson jeff johns and cy spurrier art by fernando Pasarin, todd doc carmine g gian domenico domenico excuse me scott collins and mike diodato jr this is a bunch of short stories with classic flash teams telling Stories mostly about Wally West or that involve Wally West in some way. And uh, it's a celebration up, of Wally West. It's a celebration of Wally West, setting up some stuff oh, for the future. Oh, As we... the Flash fan on the podcast, Yay. I was very happy with this collection. I thought mm. all of the stories were great. I was, in particular, the Mark Wade, Todd Doc Impulse story, very fun. Yes. Uh, that was delightful. It was ripped out of the late 90s, right? Mm-hmm. When that came out, it was perfect. That was great. And the Jeff John Scott Collins, because like that's that's my flash. They tell a story of Hunter Zolomon coming back. I don't know what that's gonna mean for the future. I love Hunter Zolomon. Like I like you go back, read that story where they build him up to being Zoom, and it's awesome. He is this terrifying villain that played throughout the DC universe for years before they replaced him by Eobard Thawne, who's not quite as interesting to me as Reverse Flash. Mm. Um, So I was very happy to see that team back on that again. But overall, I just really enjoyed this book a lot. That Jeff Johns story was chaotic. I was like... Trying to like really get that my hands is, around. Here, here's the thing about that story. I completely understand what you're saying. As somebody who knows everything about what they're talking about and has read those yeah. stories multiple times, I was like, this is great. I love all this stuff. Gimme, 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 gimme. But I completely understand that not having knowledge of any of those storylines, it might be a tough hill to climb. Well, and I also, it's interesting to me, we, months ago, we started talking about the one minute war. And I feel like then you took it out of the stack because you didn't want to hear about it from us. Yeah, you were tired did, of our I didn't bits. like it. I didn't like oh, it. You didn't like it. Interesting. Because I, I kept reading it, and I actually liked it. 
Okay. Huh. Sorry about that. I should have included it then. <laughs> no, I know. I, I just thought it was interesting that I thought you were keeping your Flash fandom uh, away from your friends. And this is what I'm going to talk about in therapy this week. But <laughs> oh, cool. I loved Arthur Group Therapy. The the first story, which was like almost like the almost got him episode of um, Batman. 100%. Uh, yeah. Is great also. So I really enjoyed yeah. that. Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, I felt like this was uh, a, a fun collection of stories. Um, you know, I, as I was reading this, I was like, you know, I bet Zalbin's having a blast with this. This seems like a fun thing. <laughs> he and, loves how fast that guy you know, is. I mean, oh, my God. He is does. he going to get faster? That's my question. And yes, the answer is yes, he does. Uh, I went. I went and put a five thousand dollars down in Vegas on the fastest. The Flash is not going to get faster, and I, <laughs> I fucked up. Yeah, I'm going to really, lose that money because yeah, he's getting faster. You, know, okay. you should you should double down your bet the next time. You'll make back the uh, money that I way. But this you think, was wait, Pete, real quick. You shouldn't drink and gamble because I yeah, think that's, that's right. literally the whole thing. Well, that's the problem. they give you, you free you alcohol. Make, well, that's what you're making bad decisions when you're toe up from the flow up. No. Uh, my my point is though that uh, as far as an eight hundred. <laughs> Uh, 800 issue. This was a real great celebration of the character, and I feel like they did it justice. Yeah. Phantom Road, number four from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Gabriel H. Walta. We are really getting to it in this book as two characters have been trapped on the titular Phantom Road, having to take some sort of idol in a big rig. If they try to leave, basically they're going to die. There's a bunch of like zombie things that are on the road. And meanwhile, back in the real world, there is some sort of a detective investigator who's trying to track down information about this thing who ends up in a even weirder hole than she was in before. We've talked about this pretty much every issue, but I think it's worth emphasizing. This to me is the most direct propulsive thing that Jeff Lemire has done in a very long time. 100%. And I love that about it. I love the tone. It has like bones of like lost, twin peaks, like characters keep being like, wait, stepping out of a room being like, oh no, oh no, <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> it, like it's just really like, like you're saying, propulsive, spooky. Uh, there's scary, mo- there's little literal jump scares built in here. It's one of my favorite Jeff Lemire books in a while. And the, the Gabriel Waltar is. Awesome. Yeah, that's one of the things I really love about this book is the lack of words. They really rely on the art to kind of uh, tell some stories. It, it sets up a kind of intense mood, which I think uh, really highlights uh, the action and the story happening in this comic. It's a, a lot of fun. And those uh, zombies, I was calling them like cement zombies because they kind of look goopy, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, oh, Nice. Who are you telling that to, like all the other people in the sandbox? Yep. Yep. <laughs> the, or the toy that walks up to you. <laughs> hey, did you uh, see these cement zombies? What did the toy that that guy said say? He said, <laughs> I feel high. I feel like fucking rich right now. <laughs> Did you not eat dinner and just drank? Is that what's going on? Truly, Pete, whatever words, the words that came out of your mouth are a drug. I don't know what it is about that, but I'm going to listen to that again. And it's when I'm like having a tough day rather than do it, having a drink, I'm just going to listen to a replay of your sandbox analogy. And I'm going to. 
I'm going to be high. <laughs> <laughs> Betty Page, number one from Dynamite, written by Mirka Adolfo and Luca Belengino, art wow. by El- Elisa Ferrari with Mara Angelili. Alex is definitely high. Holy shit. Alex is high. I'm so tired. Uh, uh, so, as you mentioned before, and this is my. Requisite begging dynamite, please stop it with the cheesecake covers because this is a goofy, fun, cartoony Betty Page book where she gets suckered into a weird film shoot where the guy's trying to kill her. But for the cover, you'd be like, Andy, like, has sex with Betty Page because that's what you're going to do with the pages of this book. It's it's weird. There's a disconnect yeah. there. It doesn't actually effectively sell the book because – I would much rather buy something that reflects the art inside of the book than the art outside of the book. I agree with that. It's a weird uh, misdirect here. Also, like, Betty Page is a – there's not – I don't know. I'm not a huge, like, Betty Page person. I know there's a lot of people who are. But, like, from what I know, it's like Betty Page is like a pinup girl. Hmm. So it's sort of like the story that they're they're putting into the – the book is something new. It's new ideas. It's like something laying on this character. So like at the, to try to sell it as a pinup thing when the story is like absolutely not that is, is strange. Yeah. I wish they, they kind of like, uh, put that in like the back, you know, somehow they do pinups in the, in the back of the comics mm-hmm. after all the, you know, that would have been a, a good spot for it because it, yeah, you think like, Oh God, what's this going to book going to be? Uh, but actually inside it, yeah, it's goofier. The arts, a uh, completely different. She's very clothed, uh, for all of it. So she's very clothed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just a jacket, Arca, boot. Hat, yeah, yeah, goggles. yeah. It's winter time. You, you know can't even I mean? see like, her. She's got, just like, yeah, no, but fun last panel. They're, they, it's kind of a goofy, uh, fun take. So yeah, I thought it was uh, it was interesting. Uh, if you can just get past the, uh, you know, the pinup that is not representational of anything inside the comic. Now, Pete, your name uh, Love Page. Are you related to Betty Page at all? Yeah, what sucks the, is you're when the we, Page. Right when we got divorced, she changed her name mm. to separate herself from me, and just a little uh, bit. So, but yeah, wanted to give me the middle finger and kind oh. of kept the page. Yeah, so yeah. Did she say she was turning over a new page? Her... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Turn for the page. Mm. Yeah, you guys Turn are the... really funny. Spider-Man number nine from Marvel, written by Dan Slott, art by Mark Bagley. In this issue, Spider-Man has amped up his spider sense exponentially, so now he can sense things happening in the whole city. Meanwhile, Spider-Boy, his sidekick that's never existed before but actually has existed for all time and space, is trying to track him down. Uh, Norman Osborn is making jokes out of the first Spider-Man movie, and a lot of other things are going on. What do you guys think about this one? Yeah, I mean, I, it's uh, Dan Slott, so there's a lot of funny stuff. There's, uh, you know, that bite me kid moment was really fun. Uh, you know, the Golden Goblin isn't my favorite, but this is still great Dan Slott action. Uh, I, I feel like it's got a lot of great stuff in there that give you that kind of Spider-Man. Uh, uh, feels like a real Spider-Man book. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. The Spider-Boy stuff, it feels like this book is trying very hard to make Spider-Boy happen. But I don't know. It's like I fetch. wish I, 
Yeah, I guess th- I wish there wasn't. Stop as much trying hype to make fetch it. happen. You know what I mean? It, it needs to be Spider Boy needs to be the center of this arc. Like, this is not to editorialize here, but it felt like the purpose of this book was to have the end of Spider Verse for the first six, seven issues, something like that, and that felt like its purpose there. I thought that was going to be the only thing with the book. I didn't realize it was going to continue. Totally fine having it continue because Dan Slott and Mark Bagley on yeah, a Spider Man book, great, great team. But if you're going to do that, make it the book that's like, this is the big arcs, not just a Spider-Man arc where he interacts with Dorman Osborne and he's going to find Electro and other stuff. It's well done. I enjoy reading them and I enjoy looking at the art, but I'd much rather have it be like, this is the big swing book where now the second arc is, who is Spider-Boy? How does he tie into this mythos? Let's really jump and dive right into that and explain what's going on there. That to me would be a stronger, more interesting thing to do, and we'll get there. But yeah, we I will. don't Have want it to patience. be. Well, I don't want it to be an ongoing mystery for the next twenty-five issues or anything. That's all. I agree with you there. <clears throat> I also think that's the way Dan Slott did his run on Spidey. Was just like there were so many plots happening, and it was sort of just like moving through, and then would come upon like a big nodes of the story and that would pop and then it would keep going like developing all these little threads so it just feels like we the other spider-man book has been doing a lot of like big story jumping back and forth and if this is sort of doing the same that's too much like let's not Mm -hmm. let's have one of them be doing something different but we'll see i'll keep reading it i'm generally enjoying it the do you like this book this book or the other book do I like this book or the other book? Right now, probably that Wells this book, book that we've talked about controversial because I was I really didn't like the last arc of the Zelda's book, but I liked everything up until that. So mm. I don't know. Interesting. I love them all. Bring on more comics. Here's another comic I'm going to bring on. Adventures of Superman, John Kent, number four from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Derek Robertson. Tom Taylor, not Tom Taylor, John Kent is still trapped in the (laughs) Injustice universe trying to figure out what's going on. And in this issue, he has a little bit of a flip where he starts to realize what is the right side to be on, except, unfortunately, the Justice universe, there's no right side to be on. I'm really liking this run, and I'm curious to see what's going to happen when they finally get past the road to Injustice and on mm. Injustice War or whatever is going to happen here. Yeah, like, what is it? Yeah. Because I don't know. It could be anything, really. Yes. Uh, but what do you guys think? How are you feeling about this? I, I like this. I really like the fact that, uh, you know, John was like, yo, hold up. The, this fighting's not getting us anywhere. Let's kind of talk this out a little bit. And then it was kind of a sweet moment where he went, uh, even though he's in a different world, you know, he still went to go see his life partner there. So that was pretty adorable and nice. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, I, I like what they're doing in this book. They're kind of pushing this character in different ways. So it's very cool and creative. And the art is fantastic. Derek Robertson on art is cool. Someone that I feel like I haven't seen a ton of lately, so that's nice to have him back in the mix. And yeah, I think John Kent is such a strong uh, person, personality in the comics, and he's like, I'm going to go reasonably investigate this from an unbiased point of view. Come on. And and I really like that, and I think this is maybe under-discussed because we talk so much about how John Kent is... Superman and the son of our Superman. 
But he is also the son of Lois Lane. And that's what I think we're seeing here is him being just like a great investigative reporter in this new world. I Because I, I thought that, and it's not really pointed to, I, I wish we got a little bit more of sort of that uh, gesture toward, because that's what his other superpower here is, is reasonably trying to figure this out without resorting to just violence or whatever. And it's just really meticulously done in a great way. Love Everlasting, number eight from Image Comics, written by Tom King, art by Elsa Charretier. In this issue, our main character is continuing to cycle through the same timeline that she is stuck in, which is 1963. She is quote unquote, happily married with children. But in the background, this cowboy who previously has killed her a bunch of times and sent her back to other romantic relationships is just hanging around and messing things up. I'll tell you what, I came to a rather obvious, I think, conclusion to this issue that probably have reached. Uh oh. I don't like the way you say rather obvious. You know well, no, mean? Like because I think I should have picked up on it before, and maybe even one of you have said it before, but I think what is going on with this book is it is what we go through with relationships, and particularly how we break up with people and why we break up with people. It's a modern telling of Ghost of Girlfriends Past. You're right. You're exactly, why didn't I see that before? Oh my 100%. God. 100%. The yeah. cowboy in this issue is that thing that dangles over even your longest term relationships where you're like, it, it's your doubts. That's who he is. That thing of like, right. maybe there's something better out there. Maybe there's an out. I don't know. And you're like, nope, this is what I got. This is where I am. This is, I'm happy here. And that doubt is always in the background in certain ways, like nagging at you at the worst possible opportunities. That's what I think is playing out on this issue. It's obviously very upsetting to read, but it's very interesting to read. And I do think that plays out with the earlier things in terms of like, when you're dating, there are points where you're like, you just hit a wall for whatever reason with the relationship where maybe it does make sense. Maybe there's actual red flags. Maybe there's not actual red flags and you're the red flag. Whatever the reason, you mm. got to get out of that relationship. And that's what that cowboy is. So wow. that's my interpretation of the book that really snapped in for me in this issue in particular. So curious. I can't wait for your self-help book called You're the Red Flags, Elvin. I think it's going to be great. And I'm going to buy the first copy. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> the first it's copy. Worse, wow, the first copy. I'm going to give the first copy to my wife right before she breaks up with me. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because okay. she's the red flag that inspired you. Yes. Oh, how dare you say I that? married the first a bull. Did I, did I ever yeah. tell you guys that? Like, it's a literal bull and I have a red yeah. flag. So that's what the book is about. And you live in a china shop, which is crazy. I do. Oh, it, so it's, dangerous. It's, it's, it's very. It's a risky place to live. Uh, the I, I agree with you. Like the sort of central metaphor here is is a, a comment on relationships. But what I like about it is it the flip of what romance comics are. It's like like you're saying, Alex. It's about the doubts, the breakup. It's about the sort of the prison of love. Uh, what a long term relationships are. While romance comics are all about like the passion of meeting someone and trying to like make that happen and will roadblocks get in the way. So it's like taking the, the yang to the yin of romance comics. And that's what Tom King is good at. Like thinking that putting it together and then telling us a story that doesn't reveal that premise at the beginning. We just read along until we get to it. Um, and the Elsa, um, uh, Charatier art is great as well. 
Yeah, the art's absolutely phenomenal. Just absolutely beautiful. A lot of really amazing imagery. Also crazy, creepy shit. But, uh, Zelbin, I, I feel a little uh, ridiculous that I didn't put this together, that this was about uh, until you had mentioned that. But, yeah, it all makes so much sense now, uh, especially when I start dating. There's that cowboy that shows up and is just always kind of like uh, I feel uh, pointing weird. out, yeah. you know, yeah. By things the way, that aren't going well. Woody, you mean, right? The cowboy yeah, who visits you the sad box? I feel bad, Pete. I have been paying an actor in a cowboy outfit to show up on your dates. And I feel. Oh, man. It's expensive, but I think it's worth it because he says, like, howdy, partner. You're going to get lost in this fuck place again tonight? (laughs) (laughs) And I think that feels real. Feels fun. Are you starting to believe that it's a. A, a metaphor. I was totally, but to, uh, I totally thought that I had mentioned that cowboy. So it's amazing that the cowboy is real. Sorry, Pete. I'm a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's move on and talk about Maleficent number two from Dynamite by yes. Sue Lee. I mentioned this on the live show, but I was very surprised because I thought this was a one shot based on the previous issue where they said the end at the end. So probably should have looked into that. But this is a but direct they say continu- that at Disney movies. Yeah, they, they say do. that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, but direct- also it, yeah. it felt like or a, a, we were getting a series of one off stories. And even the first half to two thirds of this story, it feels like it's maybe a disconnected story. And instead, it's connected. This story. It is yeah. connected. And this is great. They continue to knock it out of the part with these DC villain story. The art by Suli is absolutely great. gorgeous. Storybook. You mentioned this the last time, Justin, but the fact that they let Maleficent be a villain and not a redeemed villain is yeah. really good. And we're following the story of the brother, I believe, of the guy who was turned into a fox in the previous issue. Oh, that was He's trying to track him down. Again, Maleficent is gonna Maleficent and push back on it in the most hideously magical way possible. But these are this is a really good book. Yeah, I'm excited for the next issue. I I was happy that it's a connected story. I mean, I um, things are getting crazier and crazier. I'm, I'm excited to see if he's going to come back with a whole army or something to try to take down. Uh, but it it's a it's a ton of fun. The art, it, you know, we've mentioned numerous times, but it's worth mentioning again. It's just so cool. It feels like an extension of the animation that you get with the Disney movies, but it's a little kind of updated and cooler. Uh, I just I I was I had my arms crossed when we first introduced this, but I happily am opened arm now and uh, can't wait for the next issue. Wow, open arms. I mean, what better? That's a pull quote right there. Deadpool, Batter Blood, number one Oof. from Marvel, written by Rob Liefeld and Chad Bowers, art by Rob Liefeld. This is Deadpool and Wolverine and Cable. And they're yeah. going to claw and they're going to fight and they're going to kick and they're 50. They're 50 years old. Pete. This seemed tailor made for you. What'd you think about this one? Yeah, this was just uh, like, hey, uh, you remember your childhood? Do you remember reading these comics? Well, guess what? They're back. Uh, yeah, this was a fun kind of uh, nostalgic visit to Deadpool by the originator. You know, you're getting oversized weapons and tiny talking heads. It's a blast. I mean, what's not to love? You got some, uh, you got some humor. You got some action. Uh, some light story. It's a good time. 
Do you think like what what was Rob Liefeld thinking doing a sequel to Taylor Swift's Bad Blood? Because I, mm. I, I couldn't I couldn't connect it here with Bad or Blood. It was probably listening to the album and thinking about the fact that she just broke up with Maddie Healy, as we all know. I, I don't want to get into it too much. Yeah, why but would you bring that up? And, uh, oh, I'm going to be sad again. Yeah. No, Taylor yeah. Swift's dating Cable now. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Taylor yeah. Swift, Green not Mom. a lot of people know this. She's actually the third Summers brother. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Huge reveal. I was hoping uh, you were going to say it's Mother's brother. <laughs> Make, makes less sense, but yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm old. Great point, yes. No doubt about that. Um, speaking of old, this comic feels <laughs> yes. like it's from the past uh, in that way. In all ways. So if you're a fan yeah. of the classic, it's just very funny to me. Rob Liefeld's like, I want to do a comic for Marvel. I got to have Deadpool and Cable there. Uh, like, we, we've we seen the old Cable so much in Rob Liefeld's work. But, I mean, like, this definitely scratched that itch. I actually liked the end of the issue with the reveal yeah. that happens there. If we can get – if Rob Liefeld's going to go full, like – end of new mutants into x-force like that was a wild time in comics to replicate that i would read that i also found it interesting that when wolverine's claws go in because when the sound when they make when they come out is obviously snicked right when they go in snacked (laughs) (laughs) huge reveal different sound i'm already hungry yeah (laughs) <laughs> Poison Ivy number 13 from DC Comics written by G. Willow Wilson art by Marcia yeah. Takara Gillam March, Kelly Jones and A.L. Kaplan in this issue Poison Ivy is back in Gotham City she is shacking up with Harley Quinn but feeling uneasy about her place there given that Batman and the rest of the Bat family are tracing tracking her down um, another really solid issue of this book that's all I got Agree. yes I- I found it interesting, the different uh, artists, because the jump between art styles Mm -hmm. didn't feel, Mm -hmm. it felt like it was almost a fill-in issue. And I I was, you know, often, especially Pete doesn't like that, Uh, but I I love the Kelly Jones pages especially. Yeah. I also think it's a good sign for this book, like, you don't have a fill-in if, unless you're continuing the book for perhaps a good time, a Mm -hmm. good long time. So I'm excited to keep reading this. Yeah, I I love the story. I love what we're doing with this character. I feel like this is a cool exploration of their relationship, and I like the kind of new or uh, villain reveal at the end. Uh, and uh, I, I just uh, I think that this is such a cool uh, focusing on the art style uh, very heavily to kind of in, enhance the story in such a cool way. I love what they're doing with these characters. Uh, I'm just having a blast with this book. The multiple artists actually worked for me, which I was very surprised about, but I think that is down to G. Willow Wilson almost broke up the book into it's it doesn't have chapter breaks or anything, but it feels like different chapters as Poison Ivy moves into different parts of the city. So definitely writing for that. And you got I mean, you got the four amazing artists here. Yeah, in it's, like you say, yeah, it's hard know. to hate on these artists. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You got Gillum March when Catwoman shows up and is interacting with Poison Ivy. Who else would you want to do something like that? Kelly Jones, like you were talking about. I love Kelly Jones's nightmare Batman. Just his ears yeah. are like five feet tall. Yeah. And love it. It's great. So really good stuff. 
I don't hate this next book, but I do hate this place. Number nine from Image Comics, Yay. written by Kyle Starks, art by Arjum Toplin. This is really getting to it here as our main characters have uh, basically had a reveal about everything with the whole book. There's yeah. this device that has messed up time and space around their house. We find out who the horned man is in this book, and uh, it really feels like we're heading to the end game here. I love this. I love how Kyle Stark continues to throw in little doses of humor in the midst of very high stakes. Great stuff. Yeah, I, I was super happy with the twist that we got in this. It's uh, it was so cool and revealing, and uh, yeah, I, the I would super type bananas art. I mean, just absolutely mm-hmm. such an amazing world that is created here. Uh, the, I've been uh, it's creepy, it's scary, so that part's been tough. But man, uh, the writing and the storytelling has been really enjoyable. So I've been in uh, kind of reading it uh, in between fingers here and enjoying it. In between fingers. I uh, agree. This is like cramming in a ton of like X-Files episodes, Outer Limits, ghost stories, everything and into one comic book. And still having the characters and story be like super engaging is difficult. And this book pulls it off. It's really good. Star Trek Defiant, number four from IDW, written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Angel Unzueta in this issue. We finally get the one character that you probably should have expected, but I did not expect, but came back anyway. Spoilers here, but the evil Tasha Yar from Star Trek The Next Generation shows up to help out our, I think, Justin, you've referred to them as a very sharp Star Trek crew, uh, like X-Force of Star Trek crew. It's the X-Force of Star Trek. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. Um, Very fun. I continue to have a blast reading this book. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, yeah. The Tasha, I think it's her daughter, right? In the uh, Earth it's, version. It's like a daughter who is also a clone, who is an alternate universe version. I don't know. There was a whole complicated continuity thing that happened there. But yeah, but I love it. Of course, you're going to like, I feel like they just have a list of like, who are the baller Star Trek, especially <laughs> next generation characters to be like, well, we got to have. What about the sludge puddle that kills uh, <laughs> Tasha in the original? We got to have that guy on there. Uh, we're going to see sludge puddle eventually. Um, and it, it is. It's it's very fun. Very good. A lot of great lore. Lore, Spock, hanging out. Wharf, talking you got shit. the wharf. Mm-hmm. Wharf in here. This is our second wharf. Second wharf sighting of the day. Mm-hmm. There you go. Fantastic Four, number eight from Marvel, written by Ryan North, art go. by Ivan Fiorello. In this issue, the Fantastic Four, they're just trying to hang out at Aunt Petunia's farmhouse, just live a normal life. And of course, weird things are still happening to them as people in town start to forget their entire lives, lives leading to a new villain reveal and the Fantastic Four potentially fighting against each other. Justin, you love this one in particular, so take it away. I do love this. It's like it feels like classic, big, fantastic four storytelling. Excuse me. They're out of the city. They're in a different place, which I also appreciate. Just the small town country living. But the stories are still super detail oriented, dense, interesting, big swings, like basis in like 
like science, a lot of them. The the only thing that bothers me about this is Johnny Storm's facial hair. Yeah. Otherwise, everything's killing right here. Don't like. Yeah, don't like it doesn't. The, uh, it doesn't feel like John. Yeah, it doesn't feel like Johnny Storm uh, when you got that kind of uh, uh, handlebar uh, working Fu Manchu, whatever the technical term for that uh, caterpillar going all the way down the side of his lips, mustache action. Um, yeah, I just. I mean, if we're gonna tell a Fantastic Four story. Uh, I I don't know, man. Like, I I don't know if this is the one where it's like, oh, what? Who are these guys? Oh, I don't remember anything. Oh, that store's been closed for years. What are we doing? Um, You know, I just feel like I want more from a Fantastic Four, and I'm not getting it. I I feel like there's so much. What do you want more? Like, more like space? You need, like, 19 reads? I, no, I don't want 19 reads. Jesus, the, the, the one read is enough. The guy can barely hold the marriage together. My point is that he, uh, I, I just feel like there's good use of characters and then there's just kind of like stuff. And I, I think the art is amazing in this. I love uh, I love the choices being made artistically, except for the, the Storm uh, mustache. But I just think that... Um, I don't know. I, I want to him to get to it. Maybe when it does, I'll I'll get on board. But right now, I'm just kind of reading, going, okay, okay, yeah. But what's going to happen? Like, what's what are we doing? Like, what? Okay, you know what I mean. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just chopping the bit for no reason, and I need to chill out. But well, the comic, um, this story is going to be uh, continued. Yeah, yeah, and I'm hoping it'll get better because right now it's just like forgetful and like we went to a mall, but maybe we didn't. The so I think what you're feeling, Pete, if I was to interpret, is this isn't fantastic for this isn't them like spanning the universe and doing big crazy. Yeah, this is like, things. hey, Grandma, what'd you do today? Well, I went to the mall, but I, I think the nope, store was closed. Didn't let you me know what I mean? Oh. What this is the the way that they're taking it is not necessarily fantastic in terms of wow, fantastic so much as. You mentioned earlier in the podcast, Justin, Outer Limits. This is Outer Limits with the Fantastic Four. That's what this yeah. series has been the entire time, or Twilight Zone with the Fantastic Four. So it's actually more grounded. It's more about the fantastic in terms of the things that they're dealing with that are these thing. weird mysteries. I don't know. I'm enjoying it. I understand your feeling because I want to see them like get the Fantastic Four car and fly around and like find alien planets and things like that. But we've already seen that a lot. So this is throwing them into some new situations that I think so far are pretty interesting. Cool. Agreed. Great. We have a concurrence. Shazam number two from DC Comics, written by Mark Wade, art by Dan Mora. And this issue, Billy Batson is dealing with the fact that Shazam is showing off some sort of rage. And he doesn't know why. Uh, Puberty. He's about to be canceled, bro. Uh, Meanwhile, the rest of the Shazam family doesn't have their power, so a lot of stuff going on there. I was... A little hesitant about the first issue of the series because I was coming off the high of the Barry Marvel series that they were doing. Yes. And so I was a little bummed to turn back to Billy Batson, despite my love of both the writing and art part of this creative team. This is the issue that won me over. And it was mostly because there is a Tyrannosaurus in a top hat who is. Ah, it was fun. Just fun stuff for that. I am. I love that sort of thing. 
Agreed. There's some fun here. I love Mark Wade's writing. We get a little yep. bit of sort of revealing what's happening. We get a setup for um, some more Mary Marvel stuff dealing mm-hmm. with uh, some sort of nightmare situation. The Dan Mora art is really good. Pete, that's your guy. Yeah, uh, I mean, super tight bananas, bro. I'm a little burnt out on Psycho Pirate, let me just say. What? As you ne- you're not burnt out on him. You never like him. I like him fine. He's just used Every constantly. time he turns up, you're like, yeah, I don't you're know about like, that no. psycho pirate. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't time. make sense. He looks like Iron Man. He's right? like, he can control people's minds. Which is he's crazy. Not, he's not a pirate, and he doesn't seem crazy. He just seems I think that's like your a big problem is the lack of piracy stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Because he's a get him thea- on a ship. or is it jealousy? Because psycho. he's a very theatrical guy. Ooh. Like he's clearly wearing yeah, like he's a, a very street performer. Costume. He's a street performer. He's wearing yeah. a mask that like, kind of looks yep. like a comedy tragedy mask with no features, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and yeah, and he can manipulate people's emotions, which is your ultimate dream as well. Oh, uh, that's true. I guess I'm just wishing I was a, in, a, in a full body spandex at the museum. Yeah, you controlling people's brains. I think what oh. this is you Monkey's wanted to spa, be a second paw, just creek closed. Yeah. I, think, <laughs> I think it was because you wanted to be a story pirate and then that didn't happen. And then psycho pirate is clearly kind of yeah. rubbing your face a little bit. I wanted to be the the craziest story pirate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I was blown away by this. This continues to be really amazing artistically and story-wise. This Mark Way guy is really out of his time. Yeah, I'm having a complete blast with this. And the story keeps getting better every issue. Star Signs number two from Image Comics, written by Saladin Ahmed, art by Megan Levins. This is following a world where the Zodiac has disappeared from the sky, but it seems like different people are getting different powers that tie into the Zodiac in some way, and there is a war brewing between them, even in early in the second issue. Um, I, I like this. This feels to be almost like and I don't say this derisively, but like a TV pitch in comic book form. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you guys think at this point? Well, first, we got to start off with signs, right? You guys believe in that kind of stuff? Not really. Go ahead. Oh, well, astrology. What about you, yeah. Pete? Uh, yeah, definitely think there's something to it. Um, I don't I don't like base my life around it, but I think there's some there's oh, some right. points to get into it. I'm yeah, a Libra. Yeah. What's going to happen to me tomorrow? Oh, I'm a Leo. What are you, a cancer? Sounds Libra. Me? Uh, Scorpio. Oh, interesting. The interesting. most sexual of the signs. <laughs> That's what I say about Libra, too. Sexy uh, scales. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I just think... Uh, this is, you sound uh, into it. <laughs> I, I think this is like a, a cool idea, very kind of, you know, different pitch. Um, I, I feel like... Uh, these uh, it's going to get better as it goes and uh, i'm excited about this kind of execution uh interesting kind of collection of people i also like the way the character was just like hey let's just talk you know what i mean let's just go someplace and sit down you know diners are where all the action is you know what i mean like you man i tell you what so aquarius of them right yeah what are you what are you talking about specifically people <laughs> this, uh, this comic where they oh okay. yeah he, the uh, the guy was like yo let's go to a diner the, and talk yeah. about mm, okay the guy who can shapeshift who's, yeah uh, shapeshifters right, a Gemini or something yep the um, Gemini, yeah. this 
This was very uh, wicked and divine. If you oh, are I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Almost to the point where the first, uh, I forget which star sign, but like I was like, oh, you look like um, uh, the the snap snappy one from Wicked and Divine, even Lucifer. down to sort of Lucifer. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Hairball number three from Dark Horse Comics, written by Matt Kent, art by Tyler Jenkins. In this issue, our main character is trying to kill her cat, who she thinks is a demon. She tries it a bunch of different ways. Is she successful? You'll just have to read to find out. Oh, read the book. Pete, you're a cat guy. What'd you think? Yeah. I am a cat guy, and this book continues to scare the effing shit out of me. Uh, but I, uh, man, this is creepy. Uh, love the art style, though. It is really cool and unique. Uh, has like a evil kid book kind of uh, style to it, which I appreciate. Um yeah, yeah. I mean, this cat demigod is uh, really uh, interesting, and uh, they have kind of like a weird therapy session throughout the comic, which is kind of keyed mm. into our show's theme here. Um, but yeah, I feel like uh, once you beat a cat demigod, you don't go back for more. You know what I mean? You just kind of walk away. But this uh, this character wants more, so tempting fate once again. Um, but man, uh, yeah, I can't say enough about the art style. Uh, creepy, tense, uh, stressful, and um, but then it's a, a nice little turn. That's what it's like to own a cat. Close. Yeah, see, yeah. I've never. I, I don't I own a cat. I'm a dog. Um, I'm a dog. Pip, don't sleep, less, baby. Less creepy and stuff flying around. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Really good book if you're looking for a horror book to check out. And it's ongoing as well. I thought it was going to end with this issue, but it does not. No. Daredevil number 12 from Marvel, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Marco Cicchetto. In this issue, we're picking up with the cliffhanger of the last, where Daredevil decided the only thing he has left to do is die. We find out exactly how he thinks he's going to die in this issue. But, of course, there's some twists and swerves. Pete, you're right. Okay, Dude, bro? this is this is crazy. What's happening in this comic? Good, like Maybe in a good way. No, no, like when the Punisher came back as an angel, crazy. You know what I mean? Like now, Daredevil thinks he's the right hand of God. Like what? Uh, I was a, I was a little hurt that he kind of made Elektra kill him. Uh, and so it seemed like they were, uh, in love, but then he was like, oh, I'm using you to kill me. And then now I'm going to be like a godlike creature. So what is happening? I don't know, but the art is unbelievable. He's going to get his foggy back. He's going to hell itself to get his buddy. Something that we've that's all what you three do for your friends. Or 100%. you could just love them when they're next to you and not treat them like shit. Sorry, who are you yelling? Are you yelling at the cowboy sitting next to you in your room? I don't know. Who am I yelling at, Justin? Alex? Who am I yelling at? Uh, The cowboy in your room sitting next to you. I think Justin just said that. I think we, yeah, I think we just said that. Okay, great. Uh, I was talking a lot about how Daredevil needs a break. Uh, It's been too dark for too long. And I was started this issue with, like, oh my God, this guy. But I actually really like where this ended up. It's what? a nice sort of breakout from the, the the situation we've been in for a while. The idea of Daredevil going to hell is really cool. 
looking forward to this. But the outfit change, though, come on, man. You don't think that's a little much, or are you cool with it? I mean, that's pretty cool. If I, I have trouble dressing myself, if I could go to hell and have them redress me in some way in a sweet outfit. But going what? to hell in an all-white outfit, that's just asking for trouble. Well, let me ask you this. Is it Singe before marks. or after Labor Day? Mm, that's a great question. Thank you so much. Um, it's after and, Labor Day. Obviously, we're oh after Oh, my God, Labor Day. because it's hell. Oh, you're totally right. Dark Knights of Steel, number 11, from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Jasmine Putri. We are building up to a big confrontation between white Martians back in the day, and by back in the day, I mean medieval DC universe, and the heroes who are finally all joining together. Um, another great book from Tom Taylor. He just really excels in bringing it. DC history into other eras and time, and it works here as well. Agree. Fantastic art. I like this. It is it is Game of Thrones. Like I know that's an easy comparison to make, but the name of this issue is The Winds of War, I believe, and it, it is actually achieving that tone. So if you're a fan of that and want to see your favorite DC characters involved in that, this is a, a good version of it. Yeah, I'm having a blast with this. This is so cool. Um, love the art style. It's fun to kind of see these characters in old timey times, um, timey but times. done, uh, but done in a good way. Uh, so yeah, having a blast with this. Uh, Amanda Waller sucks. She does. Ooh, Blood careful. Tree. She's got a thing. I think in her brain, it's going to blow your face up. Ah, uh, Blood Tree number five from Image Comics, written by Peter J. Tomasi, art by Maxim Simis. This is following a murderer who is killing people and dressing them up as angels. He is intrinsically tied to the main detective who is lead on the case. Things ebb up in a insane way here in this issue. Whatever you thought was happening in the first four issues, uh, it's not that it's wrong, but it just goes so much bigger in this yeah. issue to the point where it starts to feel to me like the Joker in Dark Knight a little bit. Mm. Like there's sort of that level of planning and anarchy going on, which I was not expecting from what otherwise seemed to be a relatively good but straightforward crime book. I really like this. I like that it heightened so much because I thought it was going to be sort of just like a like head to head, almost like the movie Backdraft, where these two are just facing off trying to get get after each other. But instead, it just like blew the machine open in this issue. And uh, I definitely did not see that coming and appreciated it. Well, now you got me wishing it was more like face off because you mentioned that. But I think that um... I don't. I don't think I said that. Well, yep. you said Face Off, and you were talking about a different movie, but then I was like, oh, I wish he was talking about the movie Face Off. Um, so anyways. I, uh, I said Dark Knight, and Justin said Backdraft, and you said Face Off. Just, just to clarify. No, I mean, Justin said <laughs> I said two characters that Face Off. Yeah. yeah, thank you. And then I okay. just heard yeah, that. There you go. Uh, <clears throat> I am not crazy. All right. So anyways, um, I think this is uh, super creepy. Um, this serial killer is doing horrible things and I uh, hope uh, they get their comeuppance. Probably will. <laughs> Breath of Shadows, number five from IDW, written by Rich Dueck, art by Alex Cormack. This is the final issue of the series, which has followed a uh, rock band that has headed into a heart of darkness type situation with some actual mysticism attached to it. The big 
And not to keep reusing Outer Limits and Twilight Zone, but Twilight Zone-esque twist by the end of this issue. I'll tell you what, I, I lost me a little bit in the middle of this series. I wasn't quite sure where yeah. they're going, but I really like the ending a lot. It's very dark, it's very upsetting, but it really pays off nicely on what was set up throughout the series. Yeah, it almost has, like, it feels a little, like, Cthulhu-y, the -hmm. way it came through here. So, like, I agree, I was a little bit, in the middle, there was a lot of, like, just sort of melodrama, I felt like, between the characters, and we weren't sort of moving the larger horrifying bug stuff forward, and this really pays off the bug stuff. Yeah, the bug stuff is creepy as fuck, man, and, uh, you know, I don't know, it's it's really scary. Um, The whole thing is very scary, but... um, if you were into it, this is a great book. I'm sorry you were scared. Captain America Sentinel of <laughs> Liberty, number 13 from Marvel, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, art by Alina Arofeva. Arofeva? Arofeva, there we go. Arofeva. Nailed it. Anyway. I have, Taylor, I have Taylor Swift's Eros, Taylor Swift's Eros Fever. Oh, you have tickets? You got tickets? No, Sweet. I don't know. The. Uh, two Captain Americas have been fighting. They make up in this issue after yes, fighting for finally. one total. Oh finally. There was a whole issue where they were fighting, and then they oh, made up. Sorry. And now there's some stuff going on with Bucky and other characters. And the Wolf King. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's oh, a wolf? He's, yeah, he becomes a wolf. The last issue I felt like was a little bit of a misstep. I liked the uh, some of the dialogue in it, but it felt very laid on and forced that the Captain Americas were fighting. This, I think, got back to the form. The only part that was weird is when they were talking about how they were fighting. Or was like, I shouldn't have kicked your ass so rashly. And he's like, I shouldn't have fought you either. I was like, nah, we didn't need to do that the way that it happened. But I like the art here. I like the way that Bucky is, the Bucky side of the story is really interesting to me. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I love the art style. Um, I I think that uh, it's getting more and more interesting as we go, which is great. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see how this is going to all unfold. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, I am glad we're finally the two dads stop fighting. The Joker, The Man Who Stopped Laughing, number nine from DC Comics, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Bergy. Carmine D. Giandomenico and Francesco Francovia. In this issue, our two Jokers are getting closer to coming face to face as the Joker is in L.A., is finally making his way back to Gotham. The Joker is in Gotham. He's building a sad sack army of his own. So we're headed towards a confrontation here. A face-off. One- uh, a face-off, if you will, or if Joker you prefer, or some sort of backdraft. Uh, hmm. What do you guys think about this one? You know, this this comic is set up as like this central mystery of like which one of these Jokers is real, and it's really not telling us to the, the bitter end. And I actually did this last page where it's both matching Joker faces, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm like, is it just like a Fight Club-style situation here? Mm-hmm. Oh, you think it's Fight Club, huh? Okay, Tyler Durden. I don't know. It feels like that may be what we're getting toward. Though, in the backup, we get this. I've been really enjoying the backup spot with a Francis Francovia art, Francesco yeah. Francovia art. Yeah. The, uh, it's Commissioner Gordon is a joker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was end, so. that image really haunted me and kind of fucked me up a little bit. That was a creepy version of old uh, Jim Gordo. 
Jim Gordo, uh, Jimmy G. I think that this comic is funny, and that's hard to do, while yes. also telling like a horrifying big Joker story. Yeah. I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry to meet you. Yeah. Oh, please. I, Bergy is killing it on this book. This is a, an interesting take. These two Jokers kind of running wild. And I'm excited to see the, this Joker war unfold or how this is all going to break down. Uh, yeah, I think this is just a creative, interesting, cool story that Bergy is spinning here that I'm very much enjoying. And uh, I'm, I'm scared and nervous to see how this is all going to unfold. But man, the art is just absolutely breathtaking. When Joker fights Joker, jokes win. Mm. Noctera, number 15 from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder, art by Tony S. Daniel. In this issue, our characters have made their way to Eos, I believe it's called, the land of mm-hmm. light. Yeah. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, Blacktop Bill, the archvillain oh, of the series, oh, man. has invaded and is bringing a bunch of dark shades with him. Um, there's some big moves in this issue, and... It really is starting to feel like they're headed towards the end game here. Uh, I don't yeah. know what they could do beyond this arc at this point. It's interesting to me, though. Noctera is such a small part of this story. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, I'm finding it strange that she... I, I feel like before we fully get to the end game, she has to somehow be returned to the center of the story. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it's very much about the side characters and the brother and uh, Blacktop Bill is such a star of this book. So I, I feel like I need the story to shift back over to Noctera before we are truly at, at Endgame. Oh, it will. Oh, you just wait. Man, it's going to get What do you crazy. know? Pete, what do you know? Oh, oh I've, I, I know some things. No, I just think this is just a... This book continues to kind of like shift gears in a way that's like, okay, I oh, think yeah. I just understand what's happening here. And I finally, and then, yeah, and then they just take it to crazy town. They're like, no, they really man. put the pedal to the metal, would you say? Uh, yeah. No, I, w- I wouldn't say that at all. Oh. Oh, really? Oh, that's funny because no, I, felt I, like- I I think it's just one of those things where I keep thinking like, okay, now this is going to settle down and we're going to deal with this. But it just uh, keeps powers pumping through. the gas. Keeps pumping the gas. Okay. Uh, okay. Great. Yeah. 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 Um, it's I, like almost like we're uh, next to this story. We're going, making our arm go up and down and being like honk the horn, honk the horn. And the book's like honk, honk. Yeah. Is yeah. what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but then it kind of gets weird and takes some crazy swings and choices. And then you're just like, wait, what What just happened? Where yeah. are we? And now all of a sudden we're uh, you know, tied to a chair in the middle of the road and Bill's driving a monster truck. And you're like, oh, honk, honk. Yeah, yeah. You're like, you're so like honk, honk. I, I continually am impressed with the way that this comic is operating on 11 and just keeping the, uh, you know, pedal to the metal here and then kind of flooring through it all. <laughs> I don't know. Did you look up the definition of the metaphor today? No. I feel I like just, you're on fire right now. I, you're I, on fire. I just, I'm trying to express how you, this comic keeps going crazier and crazier, but yet it doesn't yeah. seem to... Like, no, no, like, you've it, expressed it. You've expressed okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Great. It's like you're, yeah. you're like you've been driving for like like twelve hours and you really have to pee. Yeah. And but the, and the story is that gas station that finally shows up, and then you go in there and uh, and reading it is like peeing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you meant, right? 
No. Pete said that. (laughs) (laughs) Survival number two from Dark Horse Comics, written by Sean Lewis, art by Brendan Everett. In the first issue, we speculated wildly about it was exactly going on in this book. It's uh, clarified quite a bit in this issue, but basically you've got a bunch of gun nuts survivalists going up against the kind of Russian... Uh, vampire werewolves with slave vampires that they have that they use as attack dogs at the same time. So this is nuts. I love this book. I really enjoyed the first issue, but I wasn't quite, like I said, quite clear on exactly what the concept was, even though I was enjoying it. Here, there's so much clarification, but it doubles down on the characters that we care about. The action is great. Uh, and the stakes are uber high with a bunch of reprehensible people on both sides where it makes it very intriguing in terms of who exactly you're rooting for. Yeah, I feel like anyone can die and it's just like part of the story. So uh, that's fun. And there's Senna Nosferatu's out. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on in this comic and there and and, um and there's a lot of layers to it. And, but man, the action is great. The art's cool. I want to keep reading because I want to figure out what this is about. Gun nuts versus vampires. I already told you. Invincible Iron Man number seven. Yeah, but who wins? Uh, well, that's something that they might reveal in the last issue, Pete. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Usually they don't reveal the end of the first issue. Well, I'm just, I got to decide, you know, mm-hmm. which way I'm going to go. Am I going to, you know, really get into garlic and, uh, or really get into guns? What's going to happen? You know what I mean? Do both, man. Shoot garlic Do, from your guns. Get uh, a garlic a gun. Just garlic gun. A classic. You need a garlic gun. Yeah. Okay, remember that birthday garlic gun for yeah. garlic gun. <laughs> Invincible garlic Iron Man number seven from Marvel, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Juan Forgary in this issue. Uh, this is one where Iron Man is tearing up with War Machine and War Machine. Spoiler. They do a classic face off with their armor. Mm, Ooh. They, they switch. Yeah. Uh, good book. Yes. It is a good book. It continues to be uh, really well done. I feel like there are fun comedy uh, moments in this, which is great. I like all the twists and turns of the story, which is enjoyable. Really solid art. I feel like we've spent a lot of time with Tony Stark being like super genius, always ahead of anything, of everything, and like leading the Avengers, all that. And now with this book, settled into a phase where he's sort of a fuck up. Mm-hmm. And I like this so much better. Like, he is able to make mistakes constantly. He messes up uh, for War Machine here a great deal. I really like this new armor that he's wearing. I hope he we, <coughs> we can just see more of that, the Mark Nil uh, armor. Um, so I'm really, and I like the, the this villain that is going to find some prominence in the rest of the Marvel Universe. And these Stark Sentinels, love those too. This book has really surprised me, and I'm enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Peacemaker Tried Hard, number two from DC Comics, written by Kyle Starks, art by Steve Pugh. In this issue, pew. Pew, pew. In this issue, Peacemaker has been recruited by Monsieur Mala to get some uh, DNA samples, let's say, from Deathstroke in order to clone Deathstroke for the Braid's body. Um, this book is ridiculous and profane and raunchy. Basically, if you like the Peacemaker TV series, read this book. It is 100% 
in that continuity, even though it's not explicitly in that continuity, uh, without contradicting anything that's happened there, lots of fun. You know those commercials that have been airing lately where someone's like banging on the remote and the two things they're watching combine? Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah. housewives and football. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is like if the Doom Patrol series and the Peacemaker yeah! series somehow 100%. Got that's smashed exactly, together on yeah. Max. And it's fun because it's the tone of that, but all the villains and sort of the story is like super weird and very Doom Patrol-y, but it's all in Peacemaker's voice. So th- that's that's cool. I think that's a cool idea for a comic. I, I really like this issue. I like the kind of voice of Peacemaker in this issue, and uh, you kind of feel for him. He, I feel like he's kind of betrayed in this issue, and, uh, you know, it's kind of sad. Almighty number five from Image Comics by Edward LaRoche. This is maybe bringing things to a close, potentially, where we have this badass who has been taking a young girl to a safe location. Here we get a little bit of a final showdown with some wild sci-fi fantasy-style twists throughout the issue. The standout to me here, even beyond Edward LaRoche's world-building and writing, is the art that he provides. Um, There's some really creepy creatures that are throughout this issue in particular that I like quite a bit. Yeah, Yeah, I like this a lot, too. Like, you don't know what the monster is or does uh, too much here, but I really like this main character, and they're the two main characters, their relationship. I am surprised that after she's hooked up to the like meat tube, the juice juice tube. Yeah, getting the juice. Comes, getting the juice. She seems to be able to potentially recover from that, which seems uh, strange. But um, I, I hope this continues because I really enjoyed it. I do enjoy it. There is a weird moment in where like the main character dies, but then doesn't die, but then fakes, uh, like, pretends to be dead for a little bit. So I don't know what's going on, but I'm having I think she's mostly time. sleeping. It's not like she's pretending to like sleep is sort of pretending to die in some ways. Well, no, but I'm talking about when like that, uh, bad guy walks by and then he's like, Oh, Oh crap. You know, I don't want to be oh, dra- wow. dragged away by my hair like that other person there. So I'm just going to be cool and act like I'm dead. Uh, but yeah, art's absolutely fantastic. It might be creepy as fuck with these kind of uh, tree worm zombie things. But uh, yeah, I'm having a great time. Batman 136 from DC Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Bellin Ortega and Jorge Corona. In this issue, Batman is back in Gotham City and, of course, refraining from telling anybody that he went through some serious trauma while he was lost throughout the multiverse and also not telling anybody that he lost a hand. So we're picking up with the rest of the Bat family trying to, as usual, be like, hey, Bruce, just you went through a traumatic experience, deal with it, and him being like, nope, got other things to do. Um, What I like best about this and what came into clear focus for me in this issue is what Chip Zdarsky is setting up is Batman's ultimate villain is Batman. Right. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Surprising that nobody has really ever done that before. Um, Great. Really really high stakes. Batman's messed up in this. Like he's losing it in nine ways. This, there are two stories here and the backup, the between uh, failsafe, the Batman of Zur and R just his general trauma, the handlessness, like he can't get his conversation with Catwoman to work. 
you've never you'd rarely see Batman at this sort of weak point. And so that is interesting. I really like the setup where we get the backstory um, on Batman, uh, Zer and R and Failsafe and how that was sort of built out. Very cool little little uh, reveal there. I mean, they they do this a lot with Batman, where sometimes something will happen with Batman, and you he doesn't he kind of clams up. He doesn't share with his Bat family like he should, and it kind of uh, uh, makes makes things hard. Uh, so yeah, this is kind of tough to see Batman not only struggling but also making bad choices and maybe being the villain of his own kind of demise here. So, if you got shot with a time bullet, would you tell your friends? Would you tell us? Yeah. I don't know. I'd probably keep it to myself. Wow. Wow. It's a personal choice, Pete. Leave me alone. Dude, we've been doing this for fucking years, and you're not going to tell me? I already told you I was hit with the time bullet. <laughs> I'm still waiting. You haven't said shit. I said it 35 minutes ago. Hell to pay number five from Image Comics. What I'm going to do is I'm going to edit it back in 35 minutes ago in the podcast. It's going to be Ooh, cool. that would be cool. That, that would, be, would be cool, but I, I know, know how you would inject get, that. It's our, how it's would you seamlessly to... inject that into the conversation? <laughs> like, by the way, guys, I got hit with a time bullet. Yeah. Welcome to Combo Club. I got hit with a time bullet. I'm Alex. Yeah, yeah that was not what That we was said, much but... longer than 35 <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> Uh, Hell to Pay, number five from Image Comics, written by Charles Soule, art by Will Sliney. This is starting to wrap up the first arc of this epic series as our main character is trying to get her husband back. He has been captured by the main villain, and as his soul sussed out, which takes the form of taking away a lot of his skin, I think, mostly. Yeah, it's where you keep your soul, skin, which is why you got to put sunscreen on. Uh, I, I thought this was amazing action and story. Love the character designs. The demons were really cool. The smoke people were very cool. Uh, creepy ass monsters. I, I was just really impressed with the uh, everything in this comic. It's a great package. You got a name like Charles Soule attached. You gonna get some quality uh, quality comic. The the main character is getting his Charles Soule pulled out. Oh, the uh, we get the uh, the shrouded college is sort of we're slowly getting the shroud pulled away. That's such a much it's such a large idea that uh, Charles seems to be very interested in uh, the demon with the uh, no neck and drippy teeth. Yeah, no likey. <laughs> oh, that haunted you a little bit. Is that going to stay like with the, you for a while? The, the very loose gums. I don't know. I, I don't like teeth. When teeth are just loose hanging out, I'm worried they're going to get broken. Mm-hmm. Last but not least, the Joker Uncovered, number one from DC Comics. This is following up on a Harley Quinn collection that was released a couple of months back. Here we're getting some iconic and little seen Joker covers that ran on actual comics, and we also get some additional narration from the Joker throughout about some of the covers. What do you guys think about this collection? Man, if you love covers, you're going to love this book because it is mostly covers and then very small story. you got to really look for it, but it's there. The covers are cool, though. I really like yeah. going through and, and seeing the artists because these are also very recent covers from the Joker series that had featured Commissioner Gordon and um, the one, the man who uh, 
the Joker who stopped laughing, the man who stopped laughing that we just talked about earlier. I really like just to highlight some said the Lee Bermejo ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, shouts to the Frank Quitely one that oh, sort of yeah. kicks it off. It's really cool. Gabriel Delato, I really liked. Uh, there's a ton. I guess you can buy this and pull all the pages out and hang them on your wall. <laughs> I all joking aside, I I like this format. I think having a Ooh. Well, I do. I think there's something to be said for like highlighting the covers in particular because obviously we see them on the front of the book. I know that's as dumb. Uh, that's where they are. Oh, yeah. that's where I've are, seen yeah. them before. But yeah. we don't pay attention to them and people don't talk about them, but they are so important to the overall, just not sales, but the iconic nature of the comic books. So to highlight them in particular, I think is very nice, but adding in a little bit of like light story in front of them, I think is fun and it gives some added value at the same time. I love the idea that you're like, people don't pay, pay attention to comic covers and you being in the comic book store being like, Hey, then just pointing to a cover. (laughs) Hey, 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 did you notice this? Stop looking at the inside. Stop judging it by the inside of the book. Instead, judge it by, well, I don't know. I don't know how to finish that. Anyway, thank you all for tuning in today. We appreciate it. If you <laughs> like to support this podcast, it was a long podcast, one. It was a long one. If you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comics, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at comic book live on Twitter, comic book club live on Instagram and uh, TikTok. There you go. Comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the TikTok. (laughs) I feel like I just ran a marathon in a good way. I did that 35 minutes ago. Oh, boy. Just